Welcome to So Many Bits. I am your host, Bill Nielsen, and joining me from my palatial one-bedroom apartment in Chicago is Di Billick. Di, how are you? I'm here. Here I am. <laughs> are you going to rock me like a hurricane? Here I am. Rock you like a hurricane. This is what happens when you get microphones. It's great, yeah. Uh, so this week, we're going to be having our interview with uh, Bobby Lockhart. Bobby is a local Chicago developer. He's working on an upcoming game, Codemancer. And I saw him at Bitbash recently uh, demoing his also other game, High Five Heroes. But first, Di and I are going to be talking about our screen watching segment. Oh, geez. I was outside watching some dear frolic. You don't even care about the outside, do you? <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> and for screen watching, we're going to be talking about the 1996 film Swingers. You're nobody till somebody loves you. 1996, a great year. Uh, that was, for me, that was uh, the mid to end of... Eighth grade? Uh, I, I, I was not in middle school yet. I think I was nine. No, I, I must have been because I was class of 03 for high school. Mm -hmm. And so that. Two, three, I, yeah. So I, I would have been like, yeah, middle school. Yeah. Yeah. So Swingers came out officially. Release date was October 18th, 1996. Uh, it's the one of the first appearances of a couple male actors who have gone on to uh, definitely bigger and better things. Vince Vaughn. And uh, John Favreau. Okay. So they, they are both. Uh, appearing in the scene that we looked at, which is when they are playing NHL 94. Which, it, I'm not going to lie, made me supremely uncomfortable for a couple of reasons. So let's set up the scene first then. Let's so, do that. <laughs> uh, Trent, which is Vince Vaughn's character, is playing against Sue, who is an, an, another male friend of theirs. Mm -hmm. Like they, they do make the joke about a boy named Sue. Mm -hmm. And they're playing NHL 94, and Trent is winning at the game. And Sue is getting, like, more and more angry that he's losing. Mm -hmm. uh, Trent is taunting him a little bit. Like, they're doing that thing where you can do instant replays of the goals, and he's, like, showing him the goal over and over again. <laughs> uh, I did laugh at that part. And then uh, there is a thing they, they say, like, oh, you can check the players, and it'll cause blood to come out. And then uh, Sue has to go to the door to, like, uh, take care of a delivery mm -hmm. with John Favreau's character, Mikey. And so Trent uh, does a body check on the Wayne Gretzky in the NHL game. He unpauses it surreptitiously. He wasn't supposed to do so. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. then he does the body check. And then Wayne Gretzky, uh, he starts to bleed. Now, uh, Sue's character was wearing a Wayne Gretzky jersey at yep. that time. Yep, because in, in the setting of the movie, Wayne Gretzky was on the Los Angeles Kings at the time. Mm-hmm. And so Sue comes back, uh, spots the issue, and uh, gets into like a, a fight with Trent. Mm-hmm. It's not like a full like punching and like bloody fight, but they kind of like tangle on the ground and like Trent like just gets on top of him and just kind of like sits there basically. Yeah. And then they go to the bar. Not <laughs> <laughs> uh, as much as I watch it. You see this whole movie? I've seen the whole movie. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, well, boy, oh boy. Uh, <sighs> why don't you go first? <laughs> So uh, I was thinking about uh, how uh, Swingers handles masculinity mm -hmm. because I think, I mean, obviously it doesn't always portray men uh, well, but I think it is a pretty 
honest and like vulnerable look sometimes at uh, men being friends for each other. Like uh, there is that scene, which is all about, you know, like just guys posturing and like being jerks to each other. There's other scenes about like uh, homophobia mm-hmm. where like they, there's a delivery guy who comes to the door and like Mikey, John Favreau's character goes to talk to him and they like tease Mikey to like have him like uh, bring the guy in so they right. can, you know, yeah. have gay sex jokingly. And, uh, but there are like other scenes where it feels like they, they're being supportive of each other. Like, Basically, Mikey spends 90% of the film as a very depressed man Mm -hmm. who is trying to work through a breakup that happened over six months ago. Mm -hmm. Ouch. And for the most part, they're like, hey, Mikey, you're a good guy. You should try and just, like, get back out there and try and meet someone else because you'll feel better. Mm -hmm. Like, Trent's character, Vince Vaughn, like, he is a jerk, but he is actually very nice for the most part to Mikey. And, like, there's a... Another character played by, like, Ron Livingston, who also, like, shows the same support. Uh, and then there's even, like, a scene where, like, the uh, Sue, he has a gun. And, like, it comes, like, he shows off the gun during, like, this tense, uh, like, fight they're going to have outdoors. And then, like, everyone else is like, no, you shouldn't have a gun. That's weird. Right. It's weird that you carry a gun. Right. And he apologizes later. He's like, that was messed up. I'm sorry I made, f-. he also had made fun of Mikey. And he's like, I'm sorry I made fun of you. That's pretty good. Um, I'll tell you why it made me uncomfortable. Please. No one plays video games in that way. No one comes over, looks depressed as hell. I, like, uh, my dude friends, like, sometimes we end, like, if, in my younger life, like, prepubescent slash teenage years, I had way more guy friends than I had girlfriends because, you know, mommy issues. And uh, now I have a pretty good balance, maybe some more girlfriends than dude friends. But, like, I've... I grew up playing video games with guys and like they're it's not like no matter how depressed someone is people don't sit around and everyone's depressed like playing video games is fun I felt fucking sad just watching that scene and it's not because their apartment the apartment was small it's not for any other reason they like didn't have they weren't having fun that NHL game, NHL 94, Yeah, I used to play that. It was fun. It was, it was like all those games were fun. Tech Mobile was fun. All of them. Uh, NBA, um, NBA Jam, fun. All fun. There's no way that you're going to play a competitive game like that and not at least kind of smile, even if you're like losing. I don't, I don't know. It just didn't seem realistic to me. Do you, are you like catching my drift here? I mean, I like I, I am gonna pull that card. I feel like this feels like a very male way to look at games and like make it into a serious competition, right? Where, like devoid of any fun, right? Like, but but it's a, like, and I know back then technology wasn't as good as it was these days. But like, you're not gonna get that competitive over NHL '94, especially assuming that they've played it a million times. It's probably true that, like, they're, I assume, in age to their, like, mid-20s. Yeah. Like, most people that age didn't play video games. I think that's that hadn't really become a thing that people do yet. Mm, Maybe they did. I Maybe. I feel like it was still at that time. It was still more like a Kids. thing you did when you were a kid. Right. And then you left that stuff at home when you moved away. And it's not like now right. where you, like, when you're leaving for college it's like oh i'm gonna take my gamecube with me or like my wii because like we'll play with my roommate or whatever right 
fair point fair point just like felt very yeah, i don't know i now i want to see the movie because now i'm like curious i guess but also i don't know it's uh, i think it's a good movie and it's got some i, I think it's worth worth watching yeah it, it's also very strange because as we were talking about before we started recording the the title swingers is not like a reference to like extramarital sex it's which a i totally thought yeah <laughs> well, you would totally think that without knowing like what the movie's about yep it's about swing music it's in like but they're not a swing band no, they're not. <laughs> they so just go perplexing. to a club. And <laughs> this is so weird. It's like big bad voodoo daddies are in the film. Was this set in New York or Chicago? This was set in L.A. Because they're all like young Hollywood actors. Oh. Or L.A. actors, I guess. Really? Interesting. That alley definitely didn't look like an L.A. alley to me. They couldn't have filmed it there. No, they. I mean, probably not. Like, I know they were filming on a shoestring budget. Sure. There was there, like I I remember one thing where like they were filming in the, a scene in the desert like between L.A. and Vegas mm-hmm. like they were didn't have any filming permits so like they had to film it while one of the producers stalled the cop who was like trying to <laughs> kick them out. That's kind of amazing. Um, that's the thing about it, I, I without context and seeing the whole movie, I thought it was going to be a super fun scene, so I was like kind of jazzed. Um, out of the list, that was actually the one that popped, you know, into my head that I wanted to watch. So I was pretty uh, pleasantly surprised that you asked me to find that one. When I watched it, though, I was like, t- as soon as the scene started and they were in the apartment, I was like, nice. This is going to be funny as hell. And I laughed that one time. <laughs> That's all. And I was like, this kind of this has a dark undertone. I don't know if I like this. Ooh. And this was probably I need to temper my expectations better. Well, it's interesting. I, I mean, I I'm appreciate hearing that without the context, because obviously I'm biased. I'm already a fan of the film. Right. You coming in totally cold. Right. I, I, uh, I, I like getting that different uh, viewpoint. Right. I, but I also like, I love a scene where like people are about to sit down and play video games with each other. They'll probably smoke weed. They'll probably laugh and joke about the games. I was like, nice. No, none of that happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> they, they cool homophobia, would've... I guess. Cool, I guess. Yeah. Like, all right. Huh. <laughs> like, they probably would have smoked weed, but, like, back then, I'm, I think it was still, like, a thing. Like, oh, you can't show that in a film. But, like, <laughs> yeah. guys that age, they probably smoked weed just sure. like everybody else. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay, so are we doing our scale? Yes, yeah. So, uh Die, we, as always, we rate these scenes on three different categories, accuracy, condescension, and entertainment. So let's start with accuracy. So on a scale of six out of 10, six being completely inaccurate and 10 being extremely like 100% accurate. What, how did you feel video gaming was portrayed? If they were all about to kill themselves, then 10. If they were normal human beings, maybe... Um, maybe uh like an eight because <laughs> no one's that sad playing friggin games with friends all three of them were whatever <laughs> anyway uh, <laughs> i would give it a nine i i thought that it was a very very uh accurate rendition of nhl 94 which i guess is the thing i'm looking at the most uh <laughs> although it's weird like they they did talk about like how you know you cause the injuries and the blood like that never happens in NHL games. Right. Although you could in the early Madden games 
get the ambulance to come onto the field when a player got hurt. And sometimes you get the ambulance to run over the injured player, which is pretty funny. <laughs> it's like the blood cheat for Mortal Kombat. You can't do that for NHL 94? No, okay. not, not to my knowledge. <laughs> okay. I was like basing my accuracy on the way that they were playing, not the actual game. <laughs> no, that's, that's a – hey, this is open to interpretation. Perfect. We are critics here. <laughs> and uh, everyone has, brings their own uh, point of view to the exercise. Mine's shit. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. All right. No. No. Hush. Uh, uh, ne- next up is condescension. Uh, if you thought the scene was condescending towards gamers, give it a 10. If you think it was not condescending towards gamers, give it a 6. 6 for me. So for condescension, I would also give it a 6. Excuse me. It's like, yeah, it was three dudes just playing the game. They didn't, no one commented on it. It was just like there. It was a set piece to escalate the tension. Yeah. Yep. And then lastly, entertainment. If you were not entertained whatsoever, give it a six. If you were extremely entertained, give it a 10. Six. Yeah. No, six. I, I just I, wasn't yeah. entertained. I was waiting for the scene to start, essentially. I was like, what's going to happen? I mean, fine. Like I said, well, maybe seven because I kind of laughed a tiny bit. (laughs) (laughs) That's all. That's all I'm going to give it. Yeah, I would would give it an eight. I didn't think it was like overly funny, but I thought it was like a a true moment for the characters. I thought like it developed the relationship the three of them had. Like it was effective in like as part of the story, if not like Busta got laughing. So I would go with an eight for it. That's you uh, coming from a place of seeing the film, too. Yes. For sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that concludes our screen watching segment for this episode. Uh, we're going to be moving on now. And when we come back, I'll be talking with Bobby Lockhart about his games and BitBash. Whoop, whoop. And we're back from break. So right now on the line, I have Bobby Lockhart. Bobby is the creative director of Important Little Games. Uh, He's the lead designer and programmer of Codemancer, a game and educational tool for teaching children how to code. But firstly, I did want to talk to you, Bobby, about your uh, interactive game that I just saw this uh, last week at BitBash, High Five Heroes. Yeah, so High Five Heroes is a collaborative rhythm game where you high five fist bump and low five uh to the beat and try and uh beat your high score now uh, this last weekend was in early september of 2018 but this isn't the first time you've brought high five heroes to bitbash or other festivals right Uh, when did you start uh bringing it out so i made it actually for bitbash last summer um but we didn't have time. Like we, I, I didn't know if I was going to get it done in time. So we never announced it. So it was just, it just showed up at bid bash. Um, and then uh, I submitted it to the uh, alt control showcase at GDC to my uh, utter amazement and excitement accepted. And um, so I brought that out to San Francisco and now, um, yeah, I, I brought it back to the next BitBash. So, yeah, I, I, I hope it becomes a perennial. I'd like to see it come back for sure. Can you tell me a little bit about attending GDC? Because, 
you know, I've attended uh, PAX and I'm somewhat aware of what happens at like E3, but I'm not as familiar with uh, what GDC is primed on. Yeah, GDC is less consumer facing, I'd say. It's it's very much an industry conference. So there's lots of talks about um, nitty gritty techniques for uh, making games and uh, or making games better or financing them or, or doing publicity for them or, you know, any of the many uh, disciplines that go into game development. Also just sort of talking about what sort of games we ought to make. Alt control is always an exciting part of that where uh, we see some, some weird games that use unique interaction modes and hardware. It was it was an honor to be a part of, honestly, because there's some really great people who make stuff for Alt Control. Now, I wasn't actually clear on how the uh, the setup was able to determine like what kind of motion I was making. Can you tell the listener a little bit about that? Sure. So it's actually it it the secret is that it can't tell. <laughs> uh, <gasps> yeah. To, <laughs> You're actually, so the two players, um, they put on headphones and then they hold a handle with one hand and then they are, they're high-fiving and, and so on with the other hand. All that it does is basically determine whether you're touching the other person. And the start of that touch is when we sort of um, record, like, you know, is that on the beat that we were asking for? Other than that, we have no idea. So you could be just like booping the other person on the nose or, you know, doing swift kicks to the face. It, it doesn't really, it has no idea as long as you're making contact skin to skin. Swift kicks to the face would definitely change the nature of High Five Heroes quite a bit. Might have to send that down to like Rosemont Horizon as an undercard for the next WWE event. One thing I, I've noticed, at least, is just with... Bitbash and the the Indie City Co-op, there there is this community mm. around uh, making independent video games, and uh, just from my limited experience in like the improv community of Chicago, it's like it's very collaborative. Where it's you're of course trying to bring people in to see your thing, to maybe help develop or publish your thing, but also you're supporting each other. Uh, do you get that feeling uh, as well? Yeah, I mean, it's very explicit. Um, we have a number of um, events and and things that you can belong to. So like the what started the indie community here in Chicago, I would say, is um, uh, a meetup that we do monthly called Indie City Games. And it's held on campus usually um, at DePaul, although it's it's moved around a bit here and there. A number of things have grown up. There's well, I don't want to name too uh, too many of the organizations, but if you go to chicagomakesgames.com, there is a list of all the events for game developers in Chicago. And just by the nature of the game scene here in Chicago, most of those game developers that come out and, and do stuff are indies. Actually, I'm not sure why that's the case, because there are far more game developers at big companies in Chicago, like, you know, people who work at NetherRealm or Iron Galaxy or any any of the big companies here in Chicago, there's a lot more people, but they, I guess they don't, uh, they aren't as worried about, you know, um, 
getting exposure for their work and talking to their peers and getting best practices that way because they have a whole organization built up around them. So, but the indie community really is super supportive, super collaborative. Like we all share techniques. We share some <laughs> like software libraries. Sometimes we share space here at the Indie City Co-op. We share contacts that we have with, you know, publishers and platform holders and a rising tide lifts all boats. So, um, we it's it's just been uh, a a great community to be a part of here in Chicago. I felt like that was on display a bit at, at this most recent Bitbash event because there were definitely, uh, from my observation at least, two crowds at the event. There were people who were there to have a good time who had heard about it and were like, "Oh, this is a fun thing I can do on a Friday night." And then there was the the community of developers, some from the area, some from outside the area, meeting, convening, swapping stories, showing off games to each other. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it definitely stuck out. Did you did you have any particular feelings or, or notice anything when you were walking around on Friday night? That's a very fair assessment. Uh, and you may notice prob- probably that um, the people who uh, develop games are, aren't relishing the opportunity to play games quite as much (laughs) Um, just because you know it's we know how the sausage is made it becomes kind of a job not that we don't enjoy playing games but it's like um, more important almost to to spend time with your uh, peers especially for this latest Bitbash event Fabricade there were people from um, way out of town and Kentucky and and elsewhere in the Midwest. So it was great to see them. We don't get to do that as often. So uh, Fabricade demonstrated that there are these awesome ideas for games that may not always have a a practical place in like a consumer's home, that these great ideas do exist though. Is there one thing that could change technology-wise to like make High Five Heroes something you could put out on steam or could sell even like maybe as like a a standalone console you could take home. Yeah. I've, I've actually recently thought about um, trying to pitch high five heroes as a toy to some toy companies. Cause one of the things I want to do with it anyway is, um, is make it an audio only experience if possible. So right now there's a screen that just um, it gives you feedback about um, how successful your high fives were and also gives you the score um, that as a running tally. Um, and, and then you can observe that score at the end, obviously. Um, but I, I think that that could all be that all that feedback could be given as audio. So then that that removes the screen, um, which means that all you need is, you know, the, the electronics and um, the the handles, or maybe it could be pads or something. And you could do a tabletop version where um, it doesn't need the, the stand to bring it up to uh, waist height. It's about as complicated as Simon, honestly. It's not, it's not terribly uh, complex. Um, but, and I think that's one of the charming things about High Five Heroes is you know, it's, it's pretty basic. Like you're, you're just looking at your friend and you're trying to high five them at the right time. Yeah. I mean, that was, uh, that was very 
impressive to me when I was experiencing it is just like, yeah, you put on the headphones, you grab the handle and you are good to go. I mean, no controller, no uh, graphical interface. You need to grok. Just this is the game. It's happening in your head. Yeah. Yeah. Your partner is your controller almost more than the, the electronics. Uh, do you have any uh, current dates lined up to demonstrate High Five Heroes anywhere else? Nothing I'm aware of. If, if you out there in Radio Land have good ideas of places to show it, um, get in touch. Yeah, I'm at Bobby Locks on Twitter with an X. Well, then let's shift gears a little bit uh, because this is not your only ongoing project. You also have uh, the game Codemancer that you're working on. Yeah. I, I actually had the opportunity to talk with uh, Ali Cedroni mm-hmm. at a uh, previous BitBash event. Uh, she was, uh, if I understand correctly, doing sound work on the game. Yes, indeed. Yeah, she's doing all the sound design effects, um, voiceover recording and, and mixing and mastering, etc. I don't, I don't know how that process works, but I get great sounding files from her <laughs> and I try and put them <laughs> into the game. Yeah, so Codemancer is a fantasy uh, adventure puzzle game where you play as a little girl named Aurora who has to learn magic to rescue her dad. But the way that magic works in the game is the way that programming works in real life. So players learn to code as they play. And it's it's designed for 6 to 12-year-olds. You get like a magical animal familiar that you select in the beginning. And it's very sort of young adult fantasy inspired. Was there something in particular that inspired you to, to design this game? It, it, it feels like it does fill a niche that previously I, had, I hadn't realized... Uh, hadn't been built. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I got into games in order to do educational games, um, and I'm super happy that I was able to make that happen after a few years. This particular game came out of the idea of, well, it's actually based on an experience I had in grade school where I had a really great forward-thinking computer science teacher named Mr. Costa. I have no idea where he is. Um, at the moment. If you're listening, Mr. Costa, you get in touch too. <laughs> I'd love to hear from you. <laughs> um, he he taught Logo, which is um, a basically a programming language for kids that was created by Seymour Papert in the 80s. The idea behind that is there's this little turtle on the screen and you and you tell it where to move and you you can tell it pen down and pen up. So it has little pen attached to his tail that's like the the uh the fiction of it is <laughs> so so he picks up his tail and puts down his tail and if you if you put down the tail and tell him to move then he's drawing lines and you can draw whatever you want through programming um and i had a lot of fun with it and i did a, a neat little project in first grade then when i sort of looked up at the end of several class periods when we had our project due Nobody else had actually managed to do anything. It was just me and my partner <laughs> that made something cool, and then nobody else had like gotten very far. So I sort of um, had been thinking about that experience for a long time, and and I thought that maybe the problem was not um, the interface or or the design of the activity. It was just that. Um, the students were being asked to express themselves 
sort of with very few constraints or parameters. So, you know, an empty canvas can, can be a scary thing. So what if there was a thing like logo, but it was more like a game. So it, a, a game has goals and, uh, the, the goals are supplied for you. And, um, in some games, there's a, a story pulling you through the experience. So wouldn't that be for some kids, uh, a, a more successful paradigm, uh, to use. And I, I, I still think that's true. And that that's what motivated me to make Codemancer. That's the, um, the start of my route through the design space to get to Codemancer. I don't feel there's any stigma against kids learning to code. I think there is maybe a general acknowledgement yet yeah, that, yeah, this is important, but it doesn't feel like there are maybe a lot of action items <laughs> that people are putting together. Maybe, maybe it's different. Maybe, you know, maybe in elementary schools around the country, there are coding classes taking place, but there are, yeah, there's a there's a thing under the Obama administration called code.org. Um well, it's it's not really directly related to Obama's, but he he definitely encouraged it. Um and code.org has an initiative called uh, the Hour of Code. So in December, there's a week in December where almost every <laughs> school you can uh, imagine throughout the country does an activity that exposes kids to programming for at least an hour. And sometimes it's a lot more than an hour, but, um, but that's started a lot of code related classes. I guess my, my limited view into it is like, Oh, lots of kids use tablets these days or have their phones and it's lots of, uh, screen based, uh, interaction. And, not that it's necessarily wrong, but it's not how coding, at least from what I understand, is still being done with keyboards. Yeah, for the most part. Although Codemancer is not one of those. Um, it uses a, a graphical rune-based programming language. And in fact, I try and avoid the, all the terminology and the symbols associated with um, conventional programming just because I... Uh, Part of my, one of my design goals is to um, entice the, the kind of kid who would not be attracted to a programming game. Just because I think the kids who are uh, interested in programming anyway are going to learn it with or without Codemancer. It's a graphical language with sort of in-place radial menus and there are no numbers above five and you can't actually even see Arabic numerals in the interface at all. They're just like pips, like a die. Um, and all of that is is just so that kids who would normally not be so interested in a game about programming um, can get into Codemancer. Because I think the kids who are already into either like the idea of coding or the hacker aesthetic or any of the the things that we associate culturally with technology, those kids um, aren't going to need Codemancer. They they can learn to code a myriad ways. <laughs> well, do you have a uh, rough idea of when you expect the final product to be released? It's really close. Um, before the fall is out. Okay, then, uh, Bobby. I do have one uh, last question for you that I do ask all of my guests. Uh, so, you know, uh, 
I think Pokemon is kind of a universal language that, that most gamers are familiar with. So uh-huh. I, I like to ask my guests, uh, of all the Pokemon you're familiar with, what is one that you would like to be, one that you would like to own as a pet, and one that you would like to eat? <laughs> That's good. I like that question a lot. Which would I like to be? I think I'd like to be Meowth because he can actually express himself in English <laughs> or in Japanese or in some, some kind of natural language other than just repeating his own name in various configurations. I, I think that that's an important part of uh, just being a sentient being. So I'd like to retain the ability to talk and, and be Meowth. I don't know if Meowth is, is the only... It, it, I don't know. I watch the cartoon a lot. I don't know if it's a feature of the Pokemon type Meowth that they can all talk or if it's just that one. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I know that he gave up all his like fighting moves to learn how to talk, but I don't know um, if that's like only a thing that Meowths can do. I mean, well, maybe if if there's another Pokemon that can give up all of their fighting ability and allow themselves to talk, then uh, so if I could do that as an Onyx, maybe I would do that instead because they're just like so impenetrable seeming. I don't know. I'm, I'll stick with Meowth. I'll stick with Meowth because I feel like they could live indoors too, which I really enjoy. Let's see. As a pet, I don't know, maybe a Ponyta because they're not only a pet, they're a vehicle as well. <laughs> Um, and one that's that's sort of theft proof because their flame, unless the ponyta trusts you, right? Their flame will burn you. Mm-hmm. Who would I eat? The boring answer is like a Magikarp, right? Because it's basically it's just a fish. Let me do something bizarre though. I'm gonna say Drifloon, the sentient party balloon. But I would really like to cut into them and just see what, <laughs> like, how are they, <laughs> uh, you know a conscious being is there a brain in there or what's the deal how is this lighter than air balloon (laughs) also a sort of mythical animal thing (laughs) so it's more for the just the ability to um, dissect them but i I, i'm gonna say i would eat a drifloon okay okay because i mean when you you take it apart, you it would be expected you would eat it afterward. It'd be wasteful if you didn't. Sure, exactly. Like uh, any good scientist, mm-hmm. you eat your samples after. I mean, Darwin ate the Galapagos tortoises, and basically everyone ate Galapagos tortoises because apparently they were so tasty. I didn't so nobody, know nobody got like a specimen, a living specimen, back to Europe for like decades after they were discovered just because they were so delicious. Okay. I did not know that. That's uh, well, that certainly shines a different light on Darwin. (laughs) Well, Bobby, in that case, thank you so much for joining me on the line. Uh, Before we go, if you did mention it earlier, but if you want people to find you either electronically or in person, where can they find you? Um, Yeah. The simplest is, to uh, find me on Twitter at Bobby Locks, B-O-B-B-Y-L-O-X. Um, I'm Bobby Locks on various things. Um, 
And uh, definitely visit codemancergame.com to hear more about Codemancer. Um, yeah, or, or come visit here in Chicago. Love to meet you. All right, awesome. Thank you so much. And we are back. Uh, Di, if you ever get the chance, you should make it out to a bit bash. They're a lot of fun. When are they? Because it sounds like something I would really enjoy. They happen every two to three months. Really? In different spots around Chicago. Can you, I'll go with you next time. Yeah. I just have never, uh, I've never, it's never come up in like one of those, uh, hey, what are you doing this day? I've never been invited. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> invite me. Awkward. <laughs> uh, we can, I can definitely invite you the next time they have them. Uh, yeah, Usually they, Saturday mornings, I'm assuming. Sometimes uh, like Friday nights, sometimes okay. uh, Saturday afternoons. It depends. Yeah. I'm like, usually free all the time because I'm a struggling actor. Well, <laughs> then I've got good news for you. We can make use of some of that free time. <laughs> Perfect. But before we attend our next bit bash, <laughs> hey, Di. What's that? What you playing? I'm playing a couple things. Oh, a couple things? Uh, first thing that I've been dying to talk about, and now I've run out of things to talk about with it because it just so, this is going to be a very succinct uh, episode here for me, uh, which never happens. So enjoy it while I ask. <laughs> uh, I've been playing Guacamelee 2, which is this really, really fun platformer. It's like super artistic. I love the way that it it, it just, I, I did have, there's a, uh, did you play Guacamelee 1? <laughs> A little bit, yeah. I'm, I'm familiar with like the idea. Okay, so it's just basically this ex uh, Guacamelee Two is the uh, the wrestler who like kind of the Mexican wrestler who kind of saved the world, I guess. Um, he uh, he gets old, and then they ask him to essentially do it again, and uh, he's like really out of shape at the beginning of it, and uh, then gets his powers back, and throughout the game. Throughout the course of the game, you learn all of these new attacks and controls, and it's super fun. It's very, very engaging because the whole time you're learning new things. It's not super easy as just a platformer. Uh, I'm playing on the PS4, and there are a lot of different controls that I'm just not used to using all the time. Because, like, I don't know, you would like play these other games, you're not really using you're not utilizing the entire controller with this game you are utilizing the whole controller with combos and super fun so it's like you know combos of like the super punch and then you have to then you can like phase through thorns and there are things where you have to do like a three combo it's amazing it's like super fun but on top of that uh soundtrack's cool the art is super cool. That was the thing that like got me the most. And um, the controls are really, uh, I don't know, they're like intuitive to where it's not really annoying because you know some of these platformers that try, it's not like it's trying to be old, but I think it's trying to use old elements of platformers that like people love. Sometimes the controls can be off. I love the controls. Um, I just, it's a super fun game to play. I haven't beat it yet because I'm like kind of going back and forth with things. I've been a little busy lately. Uh, and, you know, with our place, we have the X-Bone <laughs> in the living room. 
And then in the den, which is our gaming room, we have <laughs> the PS4. And then you're playing this on the PS4, Play right? Playing on the PS4. So when I have time to play the PS4, my boyfriend is usually playing The Witcher 3. Ooh. And it's like, if I want to play the PS4, I have to kick him off. And I don't like to do that because I do like to watch him play The Witcher 3, which I was telling you earlier, like I haven't watched someone play a game in a really, really long time. And it's super relaxing to smoke a little bit of a joint and watch someone play a game, especially if it's an RPG style game. And uh, boy, oh boy, I just haven't been kicking him off lately. I've also been playing a little old game called Undertale. Oh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yep. Yeah, so yeah, we're playing Undertale on our stream, twitch.tv slash so many bits uh, pretty much every Thursday night, 8 p.m. Central. So we're still doing that at the time that this recording is going to come out. So stop by. Yeah, we're going to see how long it takes me to beat Undertale. I've never played it before aside from the – have I played tonight? Tonight's going to be the third time. So Yes. Tonight, this evening, the evening that we are recording this podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, third time. So I don't know. Am I terrible? Um, am I terrible at this game? No. No. no I feel fine. I feel like I can't dodge the attacks very well. Well, I mean, it's a acquired skill. Like it is an acquired skill. Vastly different than most uh, <laughs> RPG games where it's like the attacks come. So like, you know, in tr- traditional RPGs, like it'll just be like the skeleton hits you with its bone club or damage. <laughs> <laughs> that was the Dragon Warrior uh, sound effect in uh, case you were wondering. Okay. I was wondering. All so right, thank you for clarifying. Uh, but in this case, the uh, the game gives you like a little window and you have this little heart and you have to maneuver the heart out of the way of the enemy attacks. Otherwise, you can take like a ton of damage or no damage at all, depending on how nimble you are with the little heart figure. And I'm not nimble. I t- I'm not accustomed to that type of gameplay. I love it. It's different. And there's, you know, like that with the added element of the puzzle like way the game plays out plus the humor really really digging this game but i don't know if i'm gonna really beat it without some more practice <laughs> well you're, you'll beat it we'll, we'll get through it together you think so oh, yeah. oh jesus sure <laughs> <laughs> and that's what i've been playing what have you been playing so you might have noticed or maybe not i don't know <laughs> i'm not sure how closely people pay attention but we skipped bill's magic minute we did but that was by design, because I need more than a minute to talk about this week's topic. Oh, my God. I know. It's crazy. It's <laughs> intense. <laughs> okay. Because I've been playing the open beta of MTG Arena. Oh. Yeah. It's a new client for playing Magic the Gathering online. Is it free? Well, if you're doing the beta, then no. Or then yes, right? Yes, it is free. You can uh, play it to begin with. For no charge, although realistically, you're probably going to have to put a few bucks in. There's going to be micro charges? Yes. Yeah, so there are there are different currencies in the game. There is gold and there are gems. Gold is like a pretty freely available currency. You can get it from daily quests where it's like play 40 lands or deal 100 damage. And then the gems are harder to come by. You can get them through free play, but usually you have to buy them. Are you playing this on Windows? I am playing it on Windows. That's the only way you can play it, right? For now, yes. Uh, wow. What other what other platforms is it going to be on? 
so definitely it'll be on like Mac, I'm sure. But it seems like the eventual goal is for this to be on like iPad, maybe iPhone, probably too like busy to be on an iPhone, but okay. definitely iPad. Like the way it's so the the thing with this is there has been Magic the Gathering online for over fifteen years. Yeah, I remember playing on the Xbox three sixty forever ago. So that is actually something different. So Magic the Gathering online is a PC only thing. Oh, okay. And it's meant to like very, very closely resemble the uh, paper experience. And it's like you you have your own digital collection. You can trade with people. You can play in tournaments. Uh, you can play booster drafts, all that stuff. So the one I'm talking about, just like there are variables in that, and you don't have a set deck, right? There, there are differences. Like, yeah, you, you have like pre-built decks given to you. Uh, there are right. like lim- more limited pools of cards like they'd only have a few hundred cards compared to like a few thousand in magic online wow but i mean those are all those were all like iterations that are building towards mtg arena like if you were to boot up mtg arena you'd look at it and it would look very similar to duels actually i think you would be uh very familiar with it right off the jump Uh uh-huh do they have um what type of decks do they use like all the old archived or what Right now, their main focus is on the standard format. Standard typically is used to like encompass the past two years of cards that have been put out. So like that's their main drive is to make this like a place where you can play standard, not like where you can play like you know your Shivan Dragon or your Lord of the Pit or stuff like that. Yeah, right. Uh, although I would like it if they did make those available. I, I would appreciate a, a broader format. Sure. And so the big thing they're trying is like with the duels games and like iterating over time, they're trying to imitate Hearthstone because I think I've used this exact turn of phrase before, but like Hearthstone totally ate Magic Online's lunch in terms of like being a digital card game. And like, it's huge. I mean, everyone pretty much knows what Hearthstone is, even if they're not like totally familiar with how the game works. Mm -hmm. And if you look at how MTG Arena is set up, it's extremely, extremely similar to Hearthstone. Okay. The the this is good and bad. So the good news is they have found some smart ways to like streamline the magic playing experience for online to make games faster, to keep you in and out of games faster. Uh, like just like in duels where it auto taps your lands. Yes. It does that here too. And it's pretty good with it. It's not perfect, but Nine times out of ten, maybe more, it's like doing the smart thing with your lands so you can trust it. Sure. And then uh, it's also got like other little shortcuts where it's like assuming like it'll – so if you play a land and you have no other like spells you can cast, it'll just pass the turn for you. You don't have to click anything. In, you know, Magic Online or in a traditional paper game, you have to, like, say, go or, like, move through steps of the turn. Here it's just, like, whoosh. Um, You played on Wednesday on Twitch, right? Yes, that's right. Okay, I wanted to watch that and did not. Um, (laughs) I have a question. So you you didn't pay for it. It's in beta testing right now, right? Yeah, so... You can, like, you can, like add some money and get the gold and all that stuff. Were you able to construct a deck that you liked with just like as is right now? So I, I did spend $5. They, okay. they have a, what's called a welcome pack where mm-hmm. they give you a, a good rate on like a, a number of gems and you get some packs out of it. So mm-hmm. I, I, I bought that and then I've otherwise not put any additional money into it. I was able to build a deck that I enjoy 
Uh, like I, what, be, what colors? I am playing black and green. Okay. So right. uh, I've got a lot of smaller creatures, and then they interact with the graveyard. So like they're they get sacrificed and put into the graveyard. Then you can bring them back with right. spells. Yeah. Or you have spells that like get bonuses if you have a lot of stuff in your graveyard. Right. Okay. So that's been fun to play, and I was able to assemble it pretty much just like playing some uh, draft games and some sealed games and opening packs here and there. Mm-hmm. One nice. thing, one thing they do to like kind of like grease the works is they have this thing called a wild card. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can uh, every now and then when you open a pack, you'll just get a wild card instead of a regular card, and that can be used to replace or be exchanged for any card of the same rarity really yeah that's good yeah so like uh if there is a card that i really want that's a rare we'll say that's just this card jade light ranger is a good green creature it's a rare if i have a rare wild card even if i don't own a jade light ranger i can redeem it to get one into my collection nice um follow-up question (laughs) um do you when you beat an opponent can you first of all can you play against an ai I don't believe there's really any AI set up in there at all. That would be the difference between that and duels then? Yes. Okay. Because uh, I enjoyed the AI battles when I was like messing around with new decks that I usually don't play. A follow-up question. Um, do you gain uh, either cr- like credits, like uh, did you say jewels? Uh, is that what you said? Yeah. Jewels? yeah. Uh, do you gain that or credits or um, an opponent's card once you defeat them? It, uh, or you is can, it... you never gain your opponent's cards from winning. Okay. Uh, but you can like enter events, and then like it'll be like for every win you get a little more gold or a few more gems, and then also you might get some packs. You might also like get a couple cards at random. Okay. Do you have to pay to do those? You have to pay in the in-game currency, so gold or gems gotcha. are used to enter. But if you know if you're doing well, it's possible to go in quotes go infinite. Okay. And then, like, you can just keep funding yourself by the prizes you win and then playing in the next tournament that way. Right. That's that's what I was thinking about. Cool. Very nice. I might check that out. I think it's a, a very good way to experience magic if you are kind of approaching it for the first time and if you are uh, a little less, like, steeped in the rules. Like, it, it handles a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of like what you can and can't do. I do think it does need to improve in a few ways. Like the main thing that they, I think missed when they were copying Hearthstone, when they totally copied Hearthstone. (laughs) No, they did. It's completely naked. (laughs) Like you can totally tell. They didn't consider, or maybe they did and they just didn't care, how many more magic cards there are than Hearthstone cards. Like a Hearthstone uh, set has like, we'll say like 150 cards. Okay. And a uh, magic set has 250 cards. And the number of useless cards in magic is much, much higher. Okay. They just they, they make more good Hearthstone cards. And they also, there's a thing in Hearthstone called, so every, in Hearthstone, you have different classes that you play as, but they're also neutral cards that can go in any deck. Okay. You build a deck based on the class, and then you can... Uh, so, like, they make these neutral cards that can kind of carry over between decks. So you're not start, totally starting from scratch if, say, you want to switch from wizard to paladin. Right. Magic does not have that. It, I mean, 
there are the artifact cards, right, that you can cast with any color. Sure. But there are very few artifacts usually at any time. And even if it's a good artifact, it's not always a guarantee you can transfer it between decks. Right. So for the most part, say tomorrow I was like, oh, this black-green deck is losing all the time. I can't buy a win with this thing. I can't just go out and try another deck. I'm just kind of like stuck with that deck or I have to put more money in. Because in Hearthstone, they you know, know what the, they're doing. <laughs> well, I mean, they do. They like they, that's certainly to an extent the uh, design. It's it's very it's more punishing than Hearthstone, and just based on the way the game market is and what they've chosen to do, it's going to be an inevitable comparison between the two. Because right. Hearthstone is a lot more forgiving in that regard. Because not only do they have the neutral cards, they have this thing called dust. So if you have a card and you don't want it anymore, you can turn it into dust and then if you have enough dust you can use that that's their wild card system they can make you can make a new card out of dust i like that it's good it's a good system yeah so like it's not an efficient you can't like you know save all your money doing that because you'll the the dust you get from certain cards is very small right. sometimes it's big sometimes it's small right but it still is a it helps you a lot mm -hmm. magic does not have any, really anything that compares even with the wild cards the wild cards don't do enough right so yeah, I, I, like, I think it's a good start. I think it does have some things going for it to entice new players. But if you were like, hey, I really am liking this little first bit that I've played, I think there's a, a wall you have to climb where it's like, well, am I going to stick this out and lose a lot to get enough cards? Or am I going to just put in like 50 bucks to uh, just get all the cards I need? And then after that, I think you would be okay for the most part. But getting to that point would be tough. Right. And then, you know, they're not physical cards. And how much money could you spend in real life if you are a kinesthetic person who enjoys, like, having the cards, holding the cards, and then, like, rearranging your decks in person, which I know a lot of people are. Yeah. And they don't like, they don't like the electronic. I know some people, like, prefer that over having the physical deck. But I know a lot of people really like having their physical deck, playing with the physical deck. And if you're going to drop 50 pounds... <laughs> and then like not own the card you know right I mean? right and then like with beta testing i know that it wouldn't change that the game that much after they make improvements but like what if it's really changed and then it's yeah. like mm, this sucks i mean that could still happen like they could still change stuff right. as things develop mm -hmm. like they've already done it once they had a feature called the vault and that was if you ever got more than four copies of a card because you can only ever play four copies of a card in your deck right it would apply them towards the vault and when you accumulated enough excess cards you could open the vault and you get some bonus cards that way okay they took that out it's technically technically it's still in there but it's like you have to do so much work to, you don't you might not even know it exists because you have to like go into like hidden files on your uh, hard drive to, to find out like your progress, right? And it's so hard to achieve the open the vault criteria. And they just got rid of it. Yeah, I mean, they like that's where the wild cards I think came in, but mm. it's uh yeah still a work in progress, and people kind of miss the vault from what I've read. <laughs> like already, and what was this released September twenty seventh, right? Yeah, from yeah. what I just read, the open beta yeah it went went live on September twenty seventh, okay. so. I mean, if you want to play, it's out there. You can sign up right now, and you can to. get going. Yeah. I have Windows. Give it a go. Yeah. <laughs>
So, uh, but yeah, I think that I needed more than one minute to talk about MTG Arena. You did. I uh, I I couldn't help myself. My urges were uh, insatiable. Uh, so I apologize. It's what you've been playing. There's no apology necessary. We will return to a magic minute in future episodes. <laughs> Perfect. But yeah, uh, I think that is all I have to talk about here. I think that brings this episode of So Many Bits to a close. Thanks again to Bobby Lockhart for coming on. Thanks, hey, Bobby. Thank you, Bobby. Thanks, Bobby. <laughs> ooh, 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 he's just, he's, no, he looks just like Bobby Lockhart. <laughs> oh, oh, and you're Mary Tyler Moore. I don't care what you're singing about right now. I don't care about him. Fuck that guy. Well, just kidding, case, Bobby. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Die, uh, if you want people to find you, how can they find you? I'm going to Vegas one night only, baby. I'm singing the bits. Just kidding. I have this microphone. You can go to diebillick.com, and I'm probably something doing something dumb on your TV right now. Ooh. Jesus. Checking <laughs> the power lines. <laughs> and that's all. What about you, Bill? Uh, as for myself, as for us, we can be reached by email at so many bits podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, we're so many bits on there. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at so many bits. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate and review or download from Spreaker, from SoundCloud, from YouTube, from Spotify. Even we're on Spotify now. Really? Yeah. Sick. Follow us. Uh, we play games. Twitch.tv slash so many bits. Wednesday and Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Central Time. So Wednesdays are for Magic the Gathering online. Thursdays. Hey, Di, I think we talked about this, but just to remind the listener, uh, we are playing Undertale. We're doing a playthrough of that. Doing it. Doing it and doing it and doing it well. Uh, and then in the, at the beginning of November, we are doing Extra Life. So Saturday, November 3rd, we'll be doing a 12-hour gaming Twitch marathon. Di, you committed to staying for the entire time. I committed to staying. I'm so excited. I'm shaking my head right now, which you can't see at home. I'm shaking my head. I'm so excited. I was like, I'm getting some Crunchwrap Supremes. That's what I was just thinking. Crunchwrap Supremes, a little bit of weed, going to bring my heated blanket. I'm so excited. It's going to be great. I don't know I'm what we're really going to play. I'm just so pumped. We, we definitely need to figure that out. Yes. I got some ideas, but... Don't tell me. Okay. <laughs> and then I'll be doing a second 12-hour stream the week after, and that'll be a solo stream of me just playing Magic and Magic-related games for another 12 hours. Do you uh, want me to come over and make sure like you're going to have a seizure or something? I know uh, you said you've done like marathons before. All I'm saying is like that amount of photosensitivity situation going on. Just ignore me. It wouldn't hurt, I suppose. <laughs> uh, and uh, just, yeah, last but not least, thank you very much for listening. I uh, hope you had a good time and have a great summer. Dab. Dab. <laughs>